If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back everyone to the Live Wild podcast. This week, we're going to look at stock planning and setting up for that high percentage success. You know, when it comes to getting a shot, just moving into range is not enough. And this is something that I talk about a lot, but you need to move into the spot where you can get that shot. Lately, I've heard from so many hunters that have found an animal, moved in, only to not have a good opportunity because of a bad setup. The key is going to be to put yourself in the right place. And by following a few simple rules for the setup, you can increase those odds time and time again. On today's episode, I'm going to share the story of this season's opening day of elk season and how a plan really came together. Then I'm going to break down strategies on where to shoot from by factoring in the wind, topography, distance, the angle that you're at, and utilizing mapping software to help in this planning. But before we do that, I want to share the story of what I'm calling the light switch bull. Well, the opening of general rifle elk season was last week, and I was hunting with some of the guys from the Vortex crew, good friend of mine, Mark Boardman, who's worked there for years, and I've known him for a very long time, finally got the chance to elk hunt together. And so they decided they were actually coming out to film it for one of their Vortex hunt series. And one of the things, like if you know me, I, I always put a lot of pressure on myself for opening day. And here's the thing about, I'm just going to set up the scenario, right? It's opening day, general area. And if you are not familiar with general area hunts, opening day is what I like to call the pumpkin patch. It is the absolute busiest day of the hunting season. I would say probably that, I don't even know. It's it's definitely busier than even the last day. It, it's when 
most hunters get out and take time off. It opens on a weekend and you have everyone and and their brother and sister and mother and mother-in-law out hunting, chasing animals. So it can be good and bad in a few different ways. And, and I kind of explained this to them before then. I said, look, it's opening day. I don't necessarily want to wait until after opening day because the thing I like about opening day is it's the first crack at elk. And I always kind of have this strategy of finding a bull and then essentially I like to call it shoot that bull when the lights turn on. Opening day, right at shooting time, boom, time to go, go time. But in order for that to happen, there's a lot of pre-work that goes into it. So I kind of explained my strategy. It's like, all right, the, the plan is going to be this and, and that's what I'm going for. And over the years, I've been very successful doing that. So the week leading up to the rifle season, I wanted to put in really good scouting time and I was looking for a couple of things. First of all, I was looking for a bull elk, a legal bull. On this particular hunt, we weren't going to be too picky, but I was more than looking for a bull. I was looking for a bull that I thought was kind of out of the way where there would be a little less competition from other hunters. So I'm looking for a secluded bull. And then I'm also looking for a bull that's in some kind of pattern, not just a, a random bull, like a bull that's semi doing the same thing every day. I'm continually narrowing down what I'm looking for and where I can go and, and all that kind of stuff. So I start scouting and, and I start, it was actually very warm before the opener. We got kind of a cold snap a couple of days later, but the opener was unseasonably warm. Now, one of the things this year, I don't know, it just seemed like, you know, like during the rut, when it should have been prime rut, bulls weren't really making too much noise. And then now, like even mid-November, I've heard some bugle. It's just wild. Like I've heard more late bugles than I probably ever have. I don't know if it's just the winter or the weather, or who knows what, right? Uh, that probably all plays a factor into it. But it, it was kind of unseasonably warm. So it was kind of difficult finding bulls during scouting. When I started turning up, I mean, I turned up bulls, I think pretty much every day I went out, mostly just small raghorn type bulls, but I was finding bulls in places that were like, nope, that's going to get covered up in hunters. Just knowing from past year's experience where people tend to congregate and other things is like, nope, that's going to be a bad spot. Okay, yeah, there's bulls there, but I'm not the only one that knows about those bulls or what have you. So there, there was a lot of places where I found elk, that I just had to write them off because I had a plan. My plan was I wanted to find an elk in a certain type of location where there was probably still going to be hunters, but maybe less competition toward them. So I was limiting that. So finally I find a bachelor group of bulls and there was actually a really nice bull in there. And I go, okay, this is good. And these are elk that are in a feeding pattern. They were bachelored up. So I figured this is actually ideal. Like we get in there, there's five bulls in here. Uh, everything's going to be perfect. But they, they were feeding in this one portion of a meadow and they just liked this one particular side. So I went in with this particular knowledge. So the guys showed up to hunt and night before the opener, I'm like, this is the plan. We're going to go in there. Now there was a couple different ways to get in there. One of them put us on a spot where I wanted to be because I knew that they liked this particular side of the meadow and my thought was like, they're going to be there. And then they're, they move, they've been moving off essentially that time between legal shooting hours and sunup. So you can hunt half hour before sunrise is legal shooting time. So dawn 
And then by the time the sun crested the thing, they were in the timber and they were gone. And I did not know where they were going. I assume they were bedding somewhere in that thick timber. So we needed to be in position pre-dawn. And there was an easier way in that would put us above the elk, right? If you're just looking at it based off of, oh, like, oh, cool, we can get in here easy. It's an easier hike, an easier ridge, but we would be above the elk, generally knowing like first thing in the morning that when the sun comes up, the thermal shift, but sometimes in the morning when that cool air is still sucking down the hill. So I would think the wind would be bad. And then the predominant winds were not great for that setup. And my main focus was going to be, I want to be across from them because if they're a little bit further right, a little bit further left, wherever they're at, I want to be in position where we can shoot across and have a view and a backstop of these elk. I don't want to be popping over the hill and messing this up. But I also believe that if other hunters went in there, they're going to take this easier out. And that gives us more opportunity because we'll be, we'll have a better view. They might get spooked by other people. I was a little worried about that, but our, our plan was we were going to go the hard way. So instead of a 500 foot climb, we we're going to do a lot further, harder climb. We had to go up a range and just get into position and the same distance, but we had to do a lot more climbing to get on the other side, like across where I wanted to be set up. So everybody agrees to the plan. We go in there, we get in. And actually as we're going in, I see a light and the light is, so I'm like, okay, well, we know there's other hunters here. They are not where the elk had been, but they'd camped in essentially the middle of a, I'm like, dude, in the dark, I see the lights on in the tent. They aren't even out of their tent yet, which is fine because we were really early. But I'm looking and it's like they camped in a place where I often see elk in the middle of an elk feeding area in the middle of a meadow. It's the dumbest place anybody could camp. So I'm like, well, these people clearly don't know what they're doing, but they might've blown it for us, right? Like they don't know where these elk are. And they were far enough away that I didn't think that that camp would maybe affect these elk. But I did know that that was a place where I'd seen a lot of other elk recently. So I'm like, dude, this is just, I mean, why would you camp there first of all? And then, okay, well, there's other people here. And, and for them, if they were going to hunt where these elk were, it would be logical for them to go up over the hill and be in a bad position to blow these elk out. So I'm like, well, we're going to stick to the plan. So we stick to the plan and we're moving up our ridge and we're going to have, essentially we are at a very good advantage if those elk are where they've been. And I didn't know if like, you know, when those guys, those guys probably got in the night before, uh, I was like, did they blow the elk out? I don't know. All those things are racing through my mind. You know, I put in a lot of work and effort to make sure that, we had the best chance for success. And here's some, probably some guys that just blew it for us. So we're getting into position. We're waiting there. We're probably 30 minutes, eh, 45 minutes before shooting light. I think we left, like we left super early. We woke up at three and left shortly after something like that. So we've got plenty of time to make adjustments, but I didn't know if we need to just stick into the plan. And about, I don't know, 30 minutes before legal shooting light, I hear a good bugle and I'm like, ooh, good bugle. And then another bugle, right exactly where they've been. So nothing had changed. That was confidence. So we get in and we start working up our ridge and the plan is going to be to get to this spot that's essentially about three or 400 yards, maybe 500 to the far spot, three or 300 to the closer spot. And then there's some other piece of the meadow that's about 200. And we're going to get into position where they're kind of planning on walking into the timber. And so as we move up, 
it's now starting to get closer and closer to shooting light. And those bulls are just bugling. And in my mind, I'm thinking this sucks, right? If they weren't bugling, we would have probably no competition. There'd be no reason for those other hunters that had their camp in the stupid spot to come over this way. There's plenty of other places to hunt. They probably weren't going to go that way. But if they happened to catch any of these bugles, I didn't know if they could hear them from the other side of the hill or what, but that would maybe put us at a disadvantage and get these all blown out before we even got a chance to shoot. So we're moving in, sticking to the plan. And now I can hear multiple bugles. So I know like something's going on. I think that there's some cows here and there hadn't been any cows. It'd just been a bachelor group of bulls. So we move, we move in and through the timber, it's now probably five, 15, 10 minutes before shooting light, something like that, legal shooting time. And so I look on the hill and I can see a cow and now I see like bulls are just jockeying for these cows. They're like running in there, like cutting horses and cutting them in and out. I'm like, okay, we got to close the gap and get into position. So we move over we now close the distance from 400 to 200 yards and get set up. And we have like a great view of the hill, but there is some timber in front of us. And as we get close, we're just now waiting for shooting light. Just perfect, going to plan. And then all of a sudden the cows scatter. And I don't know, because there's so much action in there, I don't know if they had winded somebody from above because the wind w- was perfect for us. But if somebody was moving in from a different direction, clearly they would not have been able to see him, probably would have blown him out. And so the cows start to scatter. But these bulls are very, I don't know if there's a hot cow or what the heck was going on. These bulls are very interested in these cows. And now every bull's just taking a group of cows with them. Some went right, some went left. And one bull stuck with this bigger group and they run off to the timber and he's just cutting them off and pushing them. And so I'm like, all right, we got to get into position because that one group started moving toward us. They went from 200, 300 yards away to now a hundred or less. So we get set up and I think that they're going to come right toward us. And we still have about five minutes till shooting time at this point. And I'm just watching the clock. And so they're behind the timber we don't see him. Like, we're just going to sit and wait here. And sure enough, we wait and it becomes, I look at my watch. I've got like my watch, my phone, everything. Legal shooting time. It's time. Light switch is on and a cow starts to walk out. I'm like, all right, get ready, get ready. It's legal shooting time now. We can shoot this bull. And the bull walks out, but he's surrounded by cows. So he walks and we have this gap that we can shoot through that's like, I don't even know. Uh, maybe, I don't know, 60, 70 yards wide. And there's 30 cows in there and then a, a bull. And so the bull's just covered up. And as he starts to go into the timber, I just give him a couple. And so he moves off and the cows kind of stop. And then they move over and he's there. And then they start to filter back, single file. And now I'm thinking this is where we're going to get a shot. Mark's on the uh, on his pack. I give him a little pack for his, his shooting elbow. They're probably 170 yards away. Bull's going across. And he kind of stopped as I, I ca- tried to stop him as he was moving across and hoped that the cows would filter off. But he, he stopped, but just a little too late. So now as he comes out, I hit the call again with that anticipation of him taking a few steps and stopping. So I hit the call. He takes those few steps, stops, broadside, clear the cows, boom, Mark pulls the trigger, hammers the bull. So 
it was, I looked at my clock, it's like three minutes into shooting time. The light switch flipped on, the plan worked. We had the right setup. We were in the right place and we made it happen on opening day. And, you know, we started, it was awesome. You know, he got a legal bull. We we're, it's some of the best meat there is. And we were successful. And that plan really came together. And as we're cutting up the elk, I'm talking to Mark. And he's like, yeah, you know, it was like, that was exactly how you planned it. And I started describing, I was like, yeah, this is kind of my plan every year in some way, shape or form. And I started thinking about it. And aside from days where we had no visibility, like really bad weather, I was like, I've pretty much killed a bull when I'm guiding or whatever, or even multiple bulls on opening day, nearly every year for 20 years. <laughs> so aside from like those anomalies of just weather where you couldn't see five feet in front of you. And when I really thought about that, I was like, well, the one thing that I attribute that to, why we were successful and someone else wasn't. Oh, and then you know, of course, like after we'd killed the bull, hunters were converging. And when I mean converging, it's like, here comes a guy walking by on the top of the ridge with the wind blowing down to where the elk would be. And then the other direction, a guy walking by like, hey, howdy, you know, like 30 minutes later, another guy with, with a bad wind and a bad setup where even if they were there, they would not have been able to ever see those elk because they chose the wrong way to hunt that particular area. And the thing that just popped up in my mind is a lot of that success has not been from, I mean, yeah, you know, figuring out where the elk are and doing some pre-scouting, absolutely. But then there's been other times where maybe I didn't have a bull, but I was like, I'm going to go hunt this area and I know that there's pressure and we're going to have the best view of this particular spot. And so a lot of that success, I really attribute to picking the right way to be hunting that. The setup is everything. And of course, my personal motto, go the best way, not the easy way. So, you know, a combination of those things has led to consistent success with this particular tactic. And this isn't just a, you know, this is an opening day story, but this is an opening day tactic. This is a tactic for every stock and encounter. I've had a lot of friends recently, you know, reach out and be like, dude, I, we got in on a deer and, and then the deer got up, but like we could only see antler tips and we didn't this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, looking back at the hunt and the story and all that, it was probably attributed to maybe a bad setup or bad decisions within that setup zone. So that's what we're going to talk about today is, is getting in the right spot, picking the right spot and giving yourself the best opportunity for success. I talk a lot about stock planning and there should be a lot of themes. If you listen to this podcast regularly, there's like stuff that's like nearly a repeat, but it's not necessarily a repeat because I like to try to, to freshen it up as, as much as possible. But also, you know, there's certain things that I think are, are so important and kind of really permeate into every type of hunting. You know, right now we're really going to be kind of focusing because it's rifle season on rifle hunting setups. But a lot of these tactics are for any kind of setup, no matter what it is. These are the same things that I think about when I'm hunting elk, mule deer, pronghorn, rifle, bow, muzzle, it doesn't really matter. But I just kind of outlined some of the ways that I think about a setup. Now, the first, if I was to title this section, number one, wind is king. If you have a bad wind or you're anticipating on a wind change when those animals might come out, you're done. You're dead in the water. You really have to plan your stock based on the wind. That's the variable that changes and the thing that 
make some stocks not high percentage stocks. If you're in an area where you've got a trophy tag and no other hunters and you've got an animal in a, in a position, this is especially true for bow hunting, and like you don't have a good stock and approach because of the wind, maybe it's something where it's, it's better to just wait for that high percentage stock. But in the game of hunting, wind is king when it comes to Western big game hunting. You got to get that wind right. Because if you don't, all these other tactics don't matter. Now, when we think about the wind, we got to factor in two things, predominant wind direction and then the thermals and potential changes. So we're thinking about which way is the wind generally blowing. Sometimes you can find this on weather apps, other things, uh, just knowing the area, right? Like there's certain, oh, this saddle, like the wind generally blows this way in the morning, this way in the afternoon. You know, it, it can change, right? And then knowing when the sun comes up, our thermals are going to shift. Okay, maybe you've got to play for elk, right? doesn't have to be opening day. It could be any day you, you saw elk feeding in the night. And you're going to go back in there first thing in the morning or the exact opposite. You're going to go, you saw elk in the morning. You're going to go set up in that area in the evening. Okay, what's the wind going to do when you think they're going to come out? Are they going to be out before sun up? So maybe those thermals will be falling. Getting below them is going to be the best option. Is it the sun going to be rising and you, you need to be above them? How and which way is the wind going? What are those thermals going to do? Is a huge factor in my planning phase. Now, the next thing, number two, I'm going to say view is two. If you got wind, that's not going to blow the animals out. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly in your face. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's coming down the mountain, so I'm going to get blown. If it's coming down the mountain, you can get to either side as well, right? You just can't get above. So you're eliminating the places that the wind takes out. Now, the next most important thing is your view of where the animals are. Maybe you've spotted a mule deer and you're going to go stalk in. You have to, and I've said this nearly every time I talk about stalking, you have to plan to where you're stalking to for a shot, not where the animal is. The animal, where the animal is, is very important, but you also have to think that next step ahead, where is going to be my best view? And when it's rifle hunting, that is a lot more broad because you have more option, including range, than say an archery hunt or a muzzleloader hunt. So the view is extremely important. And the view that I'm talking about, the very best, like the creme de la creme of a stock is when I can look across at where I want to be shooting into. So across a ridge. I, I don't want to be on the same side as the animal. I want to be looking at where the animal is. I have the most opportunity if he moves. I have the most opportunity for a solid backstop. I have the most opportunity to be set up in a place where I can see the animal. And that is my number one choice every time. So is there a ridge across the way that I can get to? Is there uh, maybe in the valley below where I can look up? Is there a knob where I can look down into where they're at? What is the topography like and where is the optimal view going to be? And the best view is always looking across. You, I want the most view possible. I don't want to be on the same hillside if I can prevent it, especially if I'm rifle hunting. Like I, same hillside, yeah, you got to do that sometimes, but it's a very low percentage opportunity when I can, if I have the option of, okay, the wind's good. Uh, maybe it's not directly in my face, but it's blowing to the side. I think I can cheat this part of the wind and I'm going to go with that better view too. Then I'm going to try to get across and look into where they're at. And I think that having that in your mindset is very, very, very important. Every time I do a stock, I'm always thinking about what's my view going to be like from where I plan to shoot from and how is that topography and other things going to change 
uh, my view and what is it going to do to the angle and whatever I'm looking at. I'm, I'm thinking about a few things when I'm shooting. Those few things are, what's that backstop going to be like? How many times, I don't know how many times, a lot of times, I've had to do a stock where we go in on the same side of the, the mountain because of whatever. Maybe that's just the only approach, right? And sometimes you just got to do the only approach. But, you know, if if I have the op- opportunity, like sometimes hunters get locked in on like, that's where the elk is. And if I go down that ridge, I can do this. And then you get there and that elk stands up and what's your backdrop? It's like often to the never nevers, infinity, no backstop. Or you're climbing up from the bottom and it's skylined. And those are not ethical shots to take because you don't know what's back behind them. But if you're across, if you can plan that, get across from whatever you're shooting at, you often have not only a better view, but a better shot opportunity, a higher percentage to be able to pull the trigger in a safe direction. So that is extremely important. Now, number three, I'm just going to say those angles matter. And that's exactly what we're talking about the view. But think about anybody that has ever taken a picture, any male that's ever taken a picture with a female knows that they want the camera at a higher angle because it just is more flattering, right? You put the camera down and angles matter. Now, it doesn't matter for the same reason as maybe a photo, but it does matter for getting a higher percentage opportunity at what you're shooting at. And I would say being able to get higher is better than lower. And there's a few reasons for that. When you're up a little higher, not necessarily looking down, but you're up higher in elevation, maybe looking across, you have a better view looking down into potential cover. When you're below, your view is blocked and obstructed. Also, when you're below, you have more potential for a skyline shot, which is not good. That's a that's essentially a pass or an animal getting away. And too high is the same. Like on a steep hill, you're too high you can't see the bottom and therefore you also have unknown backstop behind the animal like we talked about with the view. So the angle matters. So what I like to be is level, like if you draw a plane like level and then 15 degrees higher, 20 degrees higher. So you're looking into where the animal's at. I know so many people that maybe have a ridge, right? The deer's here and they sneak into a position where they're, they could have gone up further but they just stopped here because that was like the first convenient spot. They lay down. They know that the deer bedded in this particular patch of sage and they get set up and then the deer gets up. And it's like, well, because of the angle there, that same angle, but lower, the brush now covers the vitals and they can see the head and they don't have a clear shot. Whereas if they would have moved up the hill just a little ways, maybe a hundred yards further up and they have that angle down, they're now clearing the brush that would have been a vital obstruction earlier. These are the advanced little things that if you put that in your mind and you think about the angle that you're going to be shooting at and being able to see that animal, higher is always better. So when you're planning your stock, if possible, always stock in essentially from above. If you can get that above stock, it's a lot better. Now, the same thing with a bow. I love stocking in from above because generally the animal's bedded facing down. You have less opportunity to be seen. And also when they stand you often have more opportunity for shots on vitals. And so those angles definitely matter. Number four, we're going to call distance of success. So when I'm planning this stock, there's a few things that are running through my head and I'm kind of know that I've got this checklist and I have to put certain things in order, right? Now, 
one of the things that you need to do is you need to factor in what's your max distance with whatever you're comfortable shooting. So if I'm rifle hunting and I go, okay, as far as I'm going to shoot on this particular animal is going to be X. Maybe it's 400 yards, 300 yards, 500 yards, whatever it is, understand, okay, what's, what is that max distance? Then what I'm going to do is, okay, within that max distance, I am always, if we're dealing cards, right? Playing blackjack, you're like, you get a certain number and you either hit or you hold and it's like, give me another or I'm going to stay here. There's certain things that I hit on and certain things that I stay on. One of the things that I hit on or I, or stay, whatever, is going to be the, one of the things that I look for is I choose the view over distance. So if I know that I can get into a hundred yards, but I'm not going to have the same view as let's say my max range is 300 yards. I actually believe that it's more successful and you have, will probably have a better, more ethical shot oftentimes with a better view. Because with that better view, I'm going to have more opportunity to see the animal, to get a good shot on his vitals. I'll have more time. I'll actually have, you know, the opportunity to probably get that right angle, other things. I'm going to choose to say like, or a steady rest, something like that. I'm going to choose that like steady rest, good view across a canyon, slightly above. If I have that option or the option to get in tight, I'm going to choose the option that's actually probably a little further, but a better setup. Because with that better setup, I know like, okay, that's my range. I know that I, when I'm picking my range, it's like, I know that I'll be able to hit exactly what I'm shooting at at that range. And I've got the better and more steady setup with a better view. That's the play. Now, there are those times where, you know, you go like, okay, I, I've done this, where I go, shoot. Okay, if I get here, it's right at that further distance and I want to get closer. And I go and I choose that closer option, but that means coming down the hill above him. And now I'm like 100 yards as opposed to being 300 yards. But when that elk stands up or deer stands up, shoot, now I've got no backstop. I've got a lot of brush in the way. I've got a limited time to react. I've got a smaller window of where this animal can move. So he moves and and then you're maybe making a, a sitting shot as opposed to a laying down shot, a more rushed shot. So I think that the distance of success is finding the best opportunity for you to have a good, clean, open viewed shot with a good rest, no matter what. And so I would actually choose that view. That's why it's number two over the distance. It is really nice to get close, but if you can't, now, obviously, the closer with all those things lined up, that's the absolute best. That's the bee's knees doesn't get any better. But if I don't have that option and I have an option that's like, okay, I can be a little bit further away within my effective range and have that good setup, that's where I'm going to stock to. And that's just something to think about. Now, the last thing is, okay, how do we plan for this? And I think there's two ways to do it, mapping it out and then also, you know, knowing the terrain and maybe using your range finder in field. So we're going to talk about mapping it out first. What I do oftentimes is I'll, maybe I'll see an elk or deer hunting somewhere I've never been or never got into this position. And I go, okay, the wind's doing this. This is where they're at. Maybe they've dipped into timber and they aren't there now, but you're, you're going to go stalk and wait for them to come out. Or you're going to set yourself up in a position to wait. Do this on mule deer a lot when they go into tall sage and bed down or they go in elk do this where you, you're like watching an area and maybe it's in a burn and there's a patch of live trees and they go into those live trees. Okay, I could, I could go in those live trees and shoot them at 20 yards maybe or I can wait here and they're going to come out on either side and I've got a good view and I'm 
350 yards away. Well, how will I know what the view's like from over there? So there's a few things that I do. First is I, I pull out my maps. I look at that topography and I actually use a couple different tools. So I'll use measuring tool where I can just say like, okay, what's my distance? What's my distance for success? Where am I comfortable shooting from distance wise? Whether it's now it's a muzzler is like, okay, I got to get within 75 yards, 100 yards, bow, 30, 50 yards, whatever it is, rifle, 300, 400 yards, whatever. We go, okay, where from where these animals are, where's within my range? And that's the first thing that I look at. Okay, this is within my range. This is within my range. Maybe if they move this way, that would be within my range. And then I actually like to use the 3D mode to flip in there and kind of get onto that viewpoint and say, can I see that from here? What's it look like from there? What does the topography do? Now, if I don't have the ability to see from a 3D map, I use the topography and the topo line. So I've got those topo lines turned on. I'm looking at it in real life, like, okay, there's a lot of trees and other things here. Do I think I can get a view? Or now what's the topography look like in this particular area? Is there a ridge back there? Is there a ridge that I can't see, like a ridge between the ridges? Looking for those topography lines where, hey, I can make an approach and then I can get across. So many times I've seen where maybe I've got a couple ridges between me and the animal and I'm looking at it from a long ways away and I go, okay, here's my plan. And then I pull out my maps and I look at the topography and I go, oh, there's a ridge in between where that deer is and that I can't see. But I think I could get above and, and see into that particular pocket. And what I'll do is I'll look at, okay, what are the lines on the topography looking like between here and there? Are they higher? Are they lower? Is there another ridge in between there that's the same elevation or higher? Okay, I can't, obviously can't see over a hill. <laughs> that's a no brainer. But it's one of the things that if you don't do it all the time, you don't think about it. It's just not something that clicks on in your brain. So I look at the topography and I plan so many stocks based off of topo maps, online mapping software, 3D if I got it. Just saying like, yeah, this is a good spot. Then I look for that place like, okay, within the wind in my range, where somewhere that's slightly above, is it possible? I always look to go to stock to the best place first. And so many hunters just like see an animal and they don't think about that like end game. They're like, I'm just going to go and get in position and be ready to shoot. And when you really start to build out the best opportunity, you can be the one that is consistently successful over somebody else in maybe a same area that might have knowledge of where those animals are, but goes in without a good plan. And having that good plan makes a big difference. Now, the other way that I, I use my range finder a lot is just like from my vantage, ranging where the animal is, ranging where I want to get to, subtracting that distance, looking with my eyes of like, okay, sometimes when I go to make a, a stock, if I know, okay, nobody's going to go in there, it's not going to get blown out, I've got time, I'll back out and get to a place where, hey, I can look into here and, and really say, yeah, this is a place that I can get into and, and set up. Or maybe I know, yeah, if I go right now, maybe it's a bedded deer. And I go, if I go right now, the best opportunity with this current wind is getting in tight. It's putting me in a bad position. It's not ideal. But if I wait for those thermals to change and start sucking up the hill, I can actually go on that ridge above him and be shooting down when he gets up. And, and so, okay, that's my plan. And I'll just watch him until it's time. It's that go time. And that deer's still there, sweet. If he's not, then I'll, I'll wait and see where he goes next and then try to find an opportunity to make that good play. It all depends on the type of hunt, but you know, thinking about those things and getting the wind right, getting that view, so important. And then getting that good angle within my 
distance and choosing the spot based off of the best view and then, you know, making a good plan. By doing that, you're going to find a lot more consistent success when you have the opportunity and an animal to move in on. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. You know, it's all the little things that make a big difference. When you have one opportunity, when you're going on a hunt for five days and you want to make the most out of that opportunity, thinking about these things is just so key, so important. And when I think about my success over the years, whether guiding, hunting for myself, I really realize that I make really good on limited amount of opportunities. And that's by doing things the right way, not the easy way. And so I think if you kind of stick to that program and you think about all those things, you're going to find that when you have that opportunity, you can make good on it. I'm really excited for some of the podcasts coming up next week. We're going to be sharing a story of my desert sheep hunt. Keep posted on my uh, social media because I've got the videos going to be coming out between now and next week. So you'll be able to watch that film and Matthew's Proving Ground film. Got to take a new bow out, test it in the field. That's one of my favorite things to do is be able to test new gear. Gear's so integral to what I do. I'm hunting, I'm, I'm doing this stuff all the time. And so, you know, gear's always been a big part, whether it's guiding, hunting for myself, it's been huge. And sometimes like little tweaks in certain things make a big difference in the advancement of what's capable. And so it's always fun to be able to try new gear, to do new things and see what else is out there. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that film. It's one of my favorite films that I've, I've probably ever done. And so one of the things about a, a film is that it tells what you can see, but it doesn't tell what's in my head sometimes. So I think it's really fun to be able to talk about that story and some of the stuff, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff as well. I think you're really going to enjoy that podcast. Uh, that's going to be next week. You know, talking about gear as well, one of the companies that I work with, Montana Knife Company, they're also gear junkies when it comes to making high quality knives. And they definitely love to hear from hunters and what hunters are looking for, and then go out and make something that fits that exact need. One of the cool things about being a listener to this podcast is you get sometimes the inside scoop on, on certain things. So there is going to be a Montana knife drop. For those of you listening, like right now, I think you're going to be able to get in on it. Go to their website, sign up for their emails to know about these drops. But they've got a brand new knife. I might be saying this before I'm supposed to, but if you listen to this podcast, good. And this is something that you've asked for or wanted. Their new knife is coming out, the Whitetail. And so what they've done is they've kind of tailored this knife to whitetail hunters because so many people have been asking for that type of knife. And it's essentially MagnaCut stainless steel. I got one of these to test out. It's awesome. It's got blade length of about four inches, you know, lightweight knife. Then it also has a handle instead of the paracord handle. It's got, you know, a permanent fixed handle on it. Super easy to clean. It's an incredible blade. I think that you guys will really like it. One thing about it, it also has, you know, the design, it's a little bit thicker blade length or blade thickness, but also has that tip. So we're, you can do a lot of different things with it. Great for skinning, but also if you need to do detail work like caping and other things like that, it's great for that as well. So it's kind of covers everything that you would need in that realm. And I think that they did a really good job with this knife. Of course, it's the same. You could take this knife and it will work on, mule deer, bighorn sheep, whatever, but it was designed with the whitetail hunter in mind. 
they're going to go fast. I can tell you that already. Like that's just how their knives go. They're 100% made in America, hand finished here in Montana. So it's an awesome, awesome blade. And if you want one, get on there now. If you are like, what are you talking about? And they're like, how do I get on these drops? You got to sign up for their emails. That's the best way. If you miss it and you want a Montana knife, they do have other knives in stock. So if you're listening to this podcast a couple days late, probably missed out on this one, but something to think about for next time. Just be aware that, hey, if there's something new coming out, you want to be informed on it. That's the best way to do it. That's the way that I suggest if someone's like, dude, I want a Montana knife. What do I do? I'm like, well, be informed of what's coming out and then get on there as soon as something like that goes for sale because they have limited quantities. And when they're gone, they're gone until they make more. So it's a, it's a cool way to do it. But if there's something you really like, you got to be on it. You got to be on it fast. So good luck for those of you trying to get that. I hope that this podcast maybe give you a reminder, a little bit of a heads up of what's coming. I think that it's an awesome knife and I think that you'll really enjoy it. I'm going to say until next week, get into position. We'll catch you later.